Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this email Friday, June the 3rd, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and I'm only too happy to receive emails from you asking questions. And a lot of times they're about previous programs, like the one we had yesterday. And the one we had yesterday, we were talking about an article written by uh, Don Stevenson, who is a retired minister of the United Church of Christ. And he was saying that when you pray in public, there should be an interfaith etiquette where you don't use the name of Jesus. Because when you're praying in public, of course, you're talking to Muslims and Jews and Hindus and others who do not believe in Jesus Christ. So he actually had a prayer, which he ended with, in the name of Christ. And immediately thereafter, he realized that this prayer, ending with what he had said, was inappropriate and disrespectful in a public setting, even though it was not intentional. Following the meeting, he quickly went to a known Jewish friend who was present and offered an apology for my mental lapse. The Jewish friend, of course, was warmly understanding, and he knew that I always want to support and practice interfaith etiquette. But this time I did not, and I pray that such will never happen again. And so he gives a number of examples where, as Christians, we dare not use the name of Jesus in public settings because that offends those who, of course, do not believe in Jesus. So I ran across another email that came from the Boston College Jesuit Institution. And it was entitled, Principles for Interfaith Dialogue. And the subtitle was, Walking God's Paths. Now, that struck me immediately. Because we have been taking a look for some weeks on Wednesdays at Solomon's Proverbs. That book often uses the distinction between man's path and God's path. And never does it indicate that we should shy away from proclaiming Jesus Christ as our Savior. But these principles for interfaith dialogue really contradict the book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are a number of basic principles, so maybe by your understanding these principles, you will begin to understand why even Christians have a hesitation to speak the word of Christ when necessary. I mean, how many congregations 
are putting couples under discipline for living together without marriage. At the congregation I was at, we had about seven excommunications. And you excommunicate someone not because they're a sinner. You excommunicate them because they are an unrepentant sinner. In fact, remember when we go to the Lord's Supper, we confess our sins, and the pastor will give the wonderful word of forgiveness upon this, your confession. I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God to you. And in the stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. But notice how that absolution, that word of forgiveness, comes upon this, your confession. So the idea that we Christians can speak about what we believe and not mention Jesus Christ in our prayers, etc., flies in the face of Christian teaching. So let's take a look at some of the principles that this group says are necessary for interfaith dialogue. Number one, enter into dialogue so that you can learn and grow not to change the other. Wow. Stop and think about that for a moment. You're willing to dialogue with people of other religions, but your purpose isn't to change them, even though they have teachings that will send them to hell, but that you will learn and grow. What, what does that mean? Give me an example of a prophet or an apostle who followed that kind of a teaching and was doing it properly. There is none. John the baptizer, did he enter into dialogue with the people so that he could learn and grow? No. He wanted to change the other. And that's why he had a message of repentance. This is really important to understand that in interfaith dialogue, according to these groups, you don't have the goal of changing the other, which means why even talk with them? In fact, as I said yesterday, the ministry that we have here on the radio is a bunch of nonsense then. Because we know from my emails that I am speaking to Jews and Hindus and Muslims and many others who do not believe in Christianity. And so when I'm on the radio, I'm supposed to speak in such a way that I am learning and growing and not changing the other. Now, there's no doubt that when you're in an interfaith dialogue, 
you may learn and grow in the sense of why the others believe what they believe. For example, a Muslim believes what he believes about Allah because it's in the Quran. But then the Quran is an idolatry book, and that needs to be pointed out to them. And that's a way that you can come to change the other. I can't tell you how many people have become Lutheran because of radio station KFUO. I myself know from my emails, I've been here 25 years, and approximately just over 400 people have become Lutheran through law and gospel. And I, I think that isn't as many as have become Lutheran through other programs, such as Issues Etc., uh, the Bible Study, and other programs on KFUO. I, I don't know of a program on KFUO that has as its goal not to change the understanding of God on the part of others, but instead so that the host can learn and grow. doesn't make any sense at all. Number two, everyone must be honest and sincere, even if that means revealing discomfort with your own tradition or that of the other. Everyone must assume that everyone else is being equally honest and sincere. Now, to me, that contradicts the first principle of their dialogue. Because when I am with folks of another teaching, my goal is to change their view, as was the goal of Jesus. I mean, just read the Sermon on the Mount, and there's just no doubt that Jesus uses the commandments to show us how we fail in following God's will. Now, that's being honest. But he did that to change the other. So I don't understand what it means that everyone else needs to be honest and sincere. Because being sincere and honest means I want to talk to you in order to change your false view about God. That's my goal. And I will do it on the basis of the Word of God. How many Christians are afraid to do that these days when you're dealing with gay people or those who are having an abortion because we don't want to offend them? Well, what you're offending is not them, but the devil inside of them who is moving them to believe what they are believing. Number three, everyone must be permitted to define their own religious experience and identity 
and others must respect this. Now, I want to take a little bit of time on this one because there's no doubt that you must be permitted to define your own religious experience, e even if it is wrong. And that I, as a host or someone in the group, is attempting to understand your religious experience and identity. But then the next part is, and others must respect this. Boy, that really gets me thinking. Because when you respect the beliefs of someone, just look it up in the dictionary what the word means. It's a feeling of deep admiration for someone or something elicited by their abilities, qualities, or achievements. So, when a person comes to me who is not a Christian and says that I'm not worried about being saved because I do enough good works to get myself into heaven, am I to respect that? Am I to have deep admiration for something elicited by their abilities? Recall that every other religion outside of Christianity is elicited by the abilities of the people using it. And their image of God is always an image of how they would consider themselves to be God. The image of God in the scripture is really quite different. God does things in the scripture that are not found in any other religion, like becoming a human being to die on a cross to pay for your sins. I'm supposed to respect someone who contradicts that notion? And, and, and think about whether there is respect among the peoples today. I'll just give one example. If you come up against individuals who are supporting Black Lives Matter, you will find very quickly that they are a racist organization. And there is much about Black Lives Matter that you need to understand to realize that it is not Christian, that it is talking about race as more important than faith in Jesus Christ. So there would be a good example where I do not respect the teachings of Black Lives Matter, particularly as now from their sources come violence and intimidation against Christians. So that word, respect, I don't understand how you can respect something 
that is contrary to the word of God. You can understand it. You can have a conversation with someone and try and figure out what they mean by it. But the word respect is both a noun and a verb. As a verb, it's to admire someone as a result of their abilities, qualities, or achievement, to esteem them, to think highly, to have a high opinion of them. Like in the sentence, she was respected by everyone she worked with. Now, if we're talking about interfaith dialogue, is there a possibility of having that kind of respect for false teachings that could send a person not to heaven, but to hell? You see, it's because of our love for unrepentant sinners that we speak the word of God, showing that we do not respect what they believe, but that there is another understanding of God that is far superior. Number four, do not feel that you are the spokesperson for your entire faith tradition or that you ought somehow to know everything there is to know about it. Admit any confusion or uncertainty you might have if a puzzling question arises. Now, I'm Pastor Tom Baker, been in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod all my life. And I feel that when I'm on my radio program, I am a spokesperson for the entire faith tradition of proper Lutheranism. But I also agree that I do not know everything there is to know about it. Because you could keep reading and reading and reading. I mean, Martin Luther has over 50 books on theology. And all of them have insights that you would be unaware of unless you had read about them. And there are times when a puzzling question arises for which I do not have an answer. For example, what happens to unbaptized babies when they die? Can they be saved? Well, we did a sermon where there were five ways in which God converted unbaptized children. And, of course, remember John the baptizer. He received the Holy Spirit in the womb. Jesus held people, little children, in his arms. Permit the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And those were children who were not baptized, but God recognized as part of the Christian church. So that's a puzzling question as to when that occurs. And I leave it in the hands of God that when I get to heaven, whatever answers I find there will not be against what I believe. 
Number five, don't assume in advance where points of agreement or disagreement will exist. Now, if that isn't ridiculous, for example, let's say you're talking to a gay person who is married to someone of the same gender. What do you mean you don't assume in advance where disagreements exist? Obviously, you will disagree with that situation because it's contrary to the word of God. And therefore, on the basis of the word of God, there are a lot of items, a lot of points of agreement or disagreement where we will say, maybe the unbeliever will say, well, I think there's a God. And you will say, yes, there, there is a God, and then explain it. Or if he says, I don't like any God, well, you would disagree with that and tell him about Jesus Christ. Number six, everyone should be willing to be self-critical. Now, I'm not really sure what that means. I am not critical about Lutheran theology or what I believe about it. To be critical about it would mean that I don't agree with it. Now, there are times when I'm looking at a Bible verse, I may have a wrong interpretation. And then when I read a scholar or look at other parts of the Bible, and come to the proper interpretation, then I will be critical about what I had once said about that Bible verse. But I'm not being critical about it being the word of God. I'm being critical because I misunderstood the intent of what God was saying. Number seven. All should strive to experience the other's faith from within and be prepared to view themselves differently as a result of an outside perspective. Now, I, I don't have any idea what that means. How do you experience the other face from within and view yourself dis differently? as a result of an outside experience. That has never happened to me when I am speaking to people who are not Christian. I cannot experience the faith that they have because it's wrong. It would be like, let's say I'm building a skyscraper and I have the belief that well, I'm up real high, I can walk away from the building and be able to be lifted up in the air automatically and not fall to the ground. That would be a denial of gravity. And for those who don't believe in gravity, how many people have committed suicide because they had that outside perspective 
within. The, the final principle for interfaith dialogue, number eight, trust is a must. Confidences must be kept within the group. Everyone should feel safe to express their ideas and feelings without fear. Well, remember the Bible? Jesus says to his disciples his proper message that I will be going to Jerusalem and I will be put to death, but three days later I will rise from the dead. Peter, who is a disciple of the Lord, says, no, this will not happen. We will make sure that you are safe. Remember how Jesus replied to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, I'm sure at that point that a real fear came over Peter. People should not feel safe. I have no problem with individuals trying to contradict Lutheran theology. I love to talk to people like that because almost every time they have misinformation about Lutheran theology. So they can express their ideas and feelings to me and I will not be in fear because I trust the word of God. But if I'm going to have to speak so they don't get in fear, then I'm not going to be like Jesus or like John the baptizer or like the apostles because they spoke clearly the law of God. So I hope this has been helpful to understand why basic principles for interfaith dialogue are totally contrary to God's word. And on Monday, as we take a look at another lesson for the following Sunday, we will give the proper understanding of the text to comfort you. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.